0: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: You are listening to the next Best Picture Podcast, and this is our review of the high note. Are Chicago!
0: Are Where are we? Detroit. I can't hear you, Maggie. Detroit. I can't hear you, Detroit!
2: I grew up around music. It's my whole world. If you told 12-year-old me that one day I'd be working for Grace
0: Davis, she's an icon. This woman doesn't even know your last name. She does, sometimes. Stop, 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 stop. I'm not going to tell you guys you're great if you're not great. Let's do it again. Damn, the girl still give me goosebumps. Well, Grace, have you thought any more about the Vegas residency? Actually, I think it's time I record a new album. I mean, that's one plan.
2: What am I supposed to say to her? I'm just a personal assistant, but I'd love to produce your music.
0: Let me do my job and you do yours, which is get her coffee, Kleenex, Kotex, and whatever else the hell we've been paying you to do for the last six months.
2: I've been here for three
0: years. You get paid? I thought you were an intern. My life is a joke! It's really bleak out there for middle-aged singers. In the history of music, only five women over 40 have ever had a number one hit, and only one of them was black. I I know everyone is happy with me doing the same show every night. What if there's something more?
2: Grace, I didn't want to tell you or Jack, but I did a cut of your song.
0: Hey, hey, I can hear y'all. Y'all know it's a damn microphone in there, right?
1: All we gotta do is play it safe and stack some money.
0: I will decide what
1: I do next. Alright everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for The High Note and the story is as follows. Set in the dazzling world of the LA music scene comes the story of Grace Davis, a superstar whose talent and ego have reached unbelievable heights. Maggie is Grace's overworked personal assistant who's stuck running errands but still aspires to her childhood dream of becoming a music producer. When Grace's manager presents her with a choice that could alter the course of her career, Maggie and Grace come up with a plan that could change their lives forever the film is starring Dakota Johnson Tracy Ellis Ross Kelvin Harrison Jr. Zoe Chow Bill Pullman Eddie Izzard and Ice Cube it is directed by Nisha Ganantra and it is written by Flora Greeson joining me for this podcast review I have Nicole Ackman
2: hi everyone
1: Dan Baer
3: stop for a minute stop for a minute
1: oh are we gonna do this movie review podcast all in song is that what we're doing here
3: I mean, I strongly considered it.
1: <laughs> we need something to help us get through these quarantine times. And The High Note is a movie that was released early by Focus Features uh, precisely pr- for that reason. Um, it's been released uh, hopefully as a bright spot for people to enjoy uh, the music, to enjoy the fact that Tracy Ellis Ross is getting a um, significant leading role in a movie for a change. And it's also an opportunity for us to appreciate the continued talents of Dakota Johnson and the rise of Kelvin Harrison Jr., which... I'm all here for it. <laughs> Nisha Ganatra is following this up after last year's Late Night, uh, which was well received. And this is another uh, feel good film. And we're here to talk about it today on the podcast. Uh, it is streaming currently. So if you've already seen the movie, great. If you haven't seen the movie, uh, we're not going to spoil anything here for you. Uh, so this way, hopefully, you can, uh, after you're done listening, go and watch the movie yourself. Let's start off with Nicole. Nicole, what did you think of The High Note?
2: I was absolutely charmed by this movie. I first of all, I think it's so cool to get to see Tracy Ellis Ross in this sort of role where she's playing this kind of music, you know, kind of diva A superstar because she is Diana Ross's daughter. And I think that's like a really special thing to get to see her do. And I read a couple of interviews with her talking about how obviously, you know, the character isn't uh, inspired by her mother in any way, but she was able to connect to it because she, you know, grew up seeing her mom um, and, and what she had gone through in the music industry. And I think Dakota Johnson is fantastic in it. I think she's just, I I really hadn't seen her in much before this, but I, I, you know, I knew her from... um, You
1: haven't seen the Fifty Shades Grey movies?
2: (laughs) I haven't, Matt. I actually have never seen them. But I have seen her on Ellen, so I was predisposed to love her.
1: Nicole, I I recommend highly that you check her out in a movie called Suspiria after this.
2: (laughs) Oh, no, no,
3: don't
1: do that. No, 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 no. In all seriousness, though, um, you should actually check out The Peanut Butter Falcon if you haven't seen that yet. I think you it's would like been that. Been on
2: my list. I just haven't gotten to it. I, I'm sure I will at some point. But I was thrilled to see her and Kelvin uh, Kelvin Harrison Jr. Can I pronounce his name? No, it's because I'm thinking about how hot he is. <laughs> <laughs> but there, it's honestly, this is the kind of film that I actually think it's got a pretty great concept and a pretty good script. But. These three actors could have carried off a much worse movie based entirely on their charisma. They are so magnetic. They're so fun to watch. And it's kind of the perfect quarantine film. I'm already planning to go over and get my parents to watch it. I I could watch it like right after I finished watching it. I was like, you know what? I could actually watch it again right now. It's, It's a really fun one.
1: Yeah, and we haven't had a movie like that uh, yet during quarantine, so this has definitely been a welcome kind of film for a lot of people, uh, exactly for the reasons that you said. And the cast here definitely are fantastic, um, well, in my opinion, with one minor exception, but we'll get into that in a little bit here. Dan Baer, what about mm-hmm. yourself?
3: Um, you know, last week on the podcast, we reviewed The Lovebirds, which had two extremely charismatic, likable actors. Uh, facing off against a really under par script. And this week, we have uh, three really talented, charismatic actors working with a much better script. And lo and behold, the movie is a lot, a significant step up uh, for, from the Lovebirds in terms of major studio comedies that are being released on the you know via streaming during COVID-19 crisis um I, I i'm with nicole honestly i had a lot of fun watching this movie it's very enjoyable it you know it is that sort of like big hollywood studio comedy self-actualization kind of story like you already know what's going to happen at the end when you start watching it but the, you know, what it does within that formula, and especially what um, Dakota Johnson and Tracy Ellis Ross and Kevin Harrison Jr. are able to do within it. I mean, like, I, It's just fun. It is a good time at the movies at home.
1: Yeah, I I can't disagree with you guys on that. This is definitely a feel-good movie that I really did enjoy in a lot of ways. Um, I have a couple of nitpicks here and there, but um, I want to start off with a couple of other uh, general thoughts here. One is that I was very surprised um, to find out that this movie uh, was not – the Tracy Ellis Ross show, even though this is a good showcase mm-hmm. role for her. Um, this is yeah. more of a Dakota Johnson show, and she is the true lead of this movie in many ways. And I started uh, to get, uh, you know, similarities in regards to uh, Late Night last year with Mindy Kaling and Emma Thompson, right? And Absolutely. And, mm-hmm. and I think the formula here um, is... It starts off shaky. I, I didn't think there was very, I thought there was very little character work done in the early goings. The movie kind of just like threw us in, but mm-hmm. it's a testament to um, the charisma of Dakota Johnson and of Tracee Ellis Ross and also when Kelvin Harrison Jr. comes later on into the uh, plot as well, that by the end, um, I was very, very much on board with the story, with the characters, and with the movie ultimately as a whole by the end. Um, so I really, really appreciated that. And I thought that they all worked off each other, uh, quite well, even though this is not what I would consider. I know you guys use the term comedy a little bit here and there. I, I really wouldn't consider this a comedy. It only nominally a nominally. Yeah. Like I thought late night was much, much funnier than this movie.
3: Yeah. It, it, if I use comedy because it tends to fall into those narrative tropes more than those of a drama, but like it. I, I a dramedy is fine, you know.
1: Yeah. And I mean, this is a story that we're very, very familiar with, right? Grace Davis has 11 Grammys. She's this music legend. She hasn't had a new album in a decade. And she's really kind of at this point, uh, you know, like the, the music executives, her manager, um, they're all kind of like trying to get her to rest on the laurels of her past success, get her a Vegas gig where she doesn't tour anymore, and Dakota Johnson is like kind of that big fan, but also someone who wants, you know, wants to be, I guess, like her friend. Uh, you know, she gets pretty close to her and she's the one that's really trying to push her to use her voice to make new music because it's had such a profound impact on her. Th- this is nothing new, you know, story wise, you know, we, we've seen stuff like this before.
3: I was just gonna say one of the things that I really love about this movie, and particularly about Tracee Ellis Ross's performance, is in those early scenes with Dakota Johnson, where it's yes, she's playing her assistant, but she she has this kind of warm, friendly rapport with her that almost makes it seem like they actually are good friends too. But she still has this sort of hauteur to her that is like you know like, oh yeah we're friends but never forget i'm your boss. Oh
1: yeah, i like that.
3: It felt so real and so true to like someone in that sort of position that i was like you know this could only this could only come from someone who knows this person intimately. <laughs>
1: I also
2: think that one of the best things about Tracy Ellis Ross's performance is that so often whenever you see actresses playing these kind of diva roles, they kind of fall into the camp side of things, which is fun, and in some movies it's right, but she never falls into that. She still feels very real and almost relatable in a way. Like, you understand how she became the way she is.
1: Absolutely. Even though you're
2: not really told any of that, you still know how she got there and how part of this whole demeanor is because she had to fight her way there and I I admire that even though they don't go into it much they do kind of delve into the fact that you know for all that she is this Grammy winning superstar she's also a black woman in the music industry. And she's had to, you know, kind of kick and fight her way to where she is,
1: which I have to admit was something that kind of bothered me just a little bit, because it seemed to me that in the first and second act, the movie was not about that and it was barely touched on. And then all of a sudden, in the third act, the screenplay wanted us to think that this was a movie about race. And it kind of led me into the third, the third act of the movie is where I actually have the most problems. And Dan and I talked about this off-air, and I'll, I'll get into why in a little bit without giving spoilers, but it just seemed to me that the screenplay was a tad bit unfocused, and I think part of that might have to do with the runtime of the film. Um, it's a—it's not too, too long. It's less than two hours. It's 113 minutes yeah. long, but I did get, the, get this feeling at a certain point that the movie itself was starting to run out of steam as we got closer to the end.
3: Yeah, there's definitely like... Um Almost like halfway through, I think it sort of switches gears from being this sort of light dramedy about an assistant who's also a music producer. And then it switches in one scene, one really, really good scene, it must be said, Mm -hmm. um, to being about how difficult it is for a woman in the music industry, let alone a middle-aged woman in the music industry let alone a middle-aged black woman in the music industry and it it made it makes the movie feel a little bit unbalanced because i would have liked to have gone more into that i think that the movie could have gone into more of that tracy ellis ross is certainly up to it and the little bit that the script does touch upon it made me want to see more of that
1: yeah, I mean, I have a note here that says this movie needs more Tracy Ellis Ross. And yeah. quite honestly, heading into it, that is what I thought I was going to get. I thought I was going to get like a two-hander uh, movie with equal screen time, equal perspectives. But the majority of the movie, yeah. if not the whole movie, is told through D- Dakota Johnson's point of view.
3: Yeah, and the interesting thing is that like before that, it I did notice that there was this sort of – there was this sort of like subtle class commentary that was going on between – Um, the Tracy Ellis Ross character and the Dakota Johnson character. And I kept on wondering when it was going to like really bring that up to the forefront of the movie because there is that little, you know, interesting twist that in this case, the upper class character is black and the lower class character is white, which is not something that we usually see in movies. And that dynamic is really interesting. Um, And then it said, no, this isn't about class. It's about race. And I was like, oh, Okay, could have been for, like, I... the movie a bit more than it was, but like it not. It, I don't think that it was necessary to the movie's detriment that it didn't, but it, I think it could have been stronger if it did.
2: I also kind of wish that they had 30 get through more, but I think the thing that does make it still work for me is the fact that, as you said, Matt, the movie is very much from the character of Maggie's perspective to Johnson's character. And it kind of makes sense in a way that she maybe wouldn't be thinking about this race thing until, uh, there's a scene which she, you know, it, it kind of comes up for the first time. Um, And I guess it it makes sense to me because it's from her perspective. I also Mm -hmm. do kind of wish the movie was a little bit more balanced between them. But I think that that's kind of what allows it to still function fine is that we've not been getting equal perspective from uh, Grace Davis, uh, Tracy Ellis Ross's character. Otherwise, I think it would feel worse if it suddenly came in halfway through the movie. Well,
1: well, an area where the movie really does succeed, I think, is um, in the passion for the music and the way that the characters express that through dialogue. And also, too, we see firsthand how good the character of Maggie is at getting artists to perform in the studio. And we do see uh, that producer role. And then we see examples of when they're remixing Grace's songs and you have like Richie Williams, our dubs, Saying, "Oh, it sounds dope. Oh, God. it sounds so dope." <laughs> and I, 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 liked all this stuff with the music business aspects. I, 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 liked all of that a lot. I really, really enjoyed all of those scenes. And I think when Kelvin Harrison Jr. Uh, comes into the plot as this aspiring musician who's got a lot of talent. Um, one, uh, Dan, I'll let I'll let you say uh, what you wrote in all caps uh about kelvin harrison jr
3: how dare <laughs> you
1: sir <laughs> i thought that was the most appropriate you? best reaction i had heard
3: <laughs> i mean
1: <laughs> come the fuck
0: off!
1: <laughs> it's not it's not enough that the guy is young he's talented charismatic he can Play these dramatic, versatile roles and loose and waves, but then he comes out and he can sing and be sexy and like. Gorgeous. The the chemistry that he has with Dakota Johnson in some of these scenes is so sizzling hot. I had to like fan myself. I was like, woo! Oh man.
3: Seriously. (laughs) I can't.
1: Ugh. Anyway. Kelvin Harrison jr uh we're big fans of him over here um, especially when he continues to show new layers uh and new sides to himself um that's that's always exciting right when you have a new actor on the scene and they uh find ways to surprise you I like their scenes in the studio together I thought all of those were really well done
3: everything that takes place in this movie in a music studio is great um the the opening the opening scene where she is where um, Maggie is just mixed remixing the live album is so good.
2: I was actually kind of in awe of how well they crafted those scenes about the music because I think that music is sometimes a difficult thing to get across in a film, especially um, whenever you're talking about the more technical aspects of it. And I kind of went out I was like, okay, but like what exactly does a producer do? And it actually really mm. demonstrates exactly what that role is and why she wants that role and, what that means, uh, you know, in, in a logistical basis. And I, I just think also that, you know, like you said, her chemistry is so great with uh, Kelvin Harrison Jr., but also Bikamu Johnson and Tracy Ellis Ross also have fantastic chemistry. Like, there's just a lot of great chemistry in this film, and I think that also helps carry it so well.
1: You know who doesn't have good chemistry, if anybody in this movie? <laughs> Ice Cube. I'm sorry ice cube felt so miscast in this movie to me i i could not take him seriously i really couldn't i had such trouble with it
2: every time you had a scene i was like oh right you're here
1: (laughs) and and listen i have nothing against ice cube or anything like that i enjoy him in certain modes and and also in certain movies but i just don't i just didn't buy him in 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 this movie tonally and also like with what the other cast members were doing. I don't know. Something about it just didn't fit right for me, you know?
2: I don't know if it was just a nothing character or if it was that what he was doing made it a nothing character, but it kind of felt like he was just a placeholder.
1: I mean, you have, like, the scene where the uh, hotshot record studio dudes who are trying to force, like, Grace out and push her away to go to Vegas and stuff, they're all caricatures as well, and they're, like, laughing at dumb jokes, and they're all, like, You know, like douchebag, like frat bro types, you know, Um, and and I just felt like they were going for that caricature type with Ice Cube almost in a sort of way where it's like he is the manager who's out for himself and is going to be putting her down. And like, I just it did nothing for me, you know?
3: Yeah. Like it, you know, good on you for embracing the more outre aspects of that character, but it didn't fit with what everyone else was doing.
0: Yeah. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because... The news landscape in the states has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5 minute news is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.
1: And then and then you have other weird things too. Like this is where like I said third act is where I started like really scratching my head a lot. I was like Eddie Izzard uh, was distracting. <laughs> Completely distracting. I
3: couldn't, I couldn't. That was that was my like. What the
1: fuck? I had such trouble like processing and that
3: entire scene. I just thought Yeah,
1: and then I, I okay. So I don't want to like. Hmm, all right, how do I dance around this? There is a twist in the third act that is completely unnecessary, <laughs> irrational, silly, and it's an excuse. To get certain characters on stage singing together at the very end of the movie, and I thought it was cheap, and I, I thought it was a joke at first. I legitimately was like, "Really? Like this is legit?" I, I, I thought it was so poorly, poorly it. done.
3: I what? Loved that the movie went there. I, yeah. it, when it was revealed, it made me laugh so hard. I, I was, I. Loved it. It took the movie just, like, up a notch
1: for me. I it, it, it single-handedly brought the movie down a notch for me.
2: Okay, about halfway through the movie, I was like, oh, I get it. This is going to happen. <laughs> and then it did. And I was like, I think part of why I loved it is I was just so impressed that I was right. Um, <laughs> I was like, ha, I called that. Um, but I liked yeah. it. It gave, us, it gave us an excuse for a few more emotional scenes. And it gave us a way to tie the three main characters together a little bit stronger and it didn't make the movie for me but it also didn't break the movie for me and like i said i kind of saw it coming like if you watch enough movies of this sort you know that this sort of thing always happens
1: (laughs) i I, I was hoping that the movie would rise above it and not do it (laughs) no (laughs) no Uh,
2: you know it tied together some storylines it made certain things be like ah well it had to be this way like that couldn't have happened or you know whatever i didn't mind it but i i also get that it's it is one of those like oh and here's a twist for you things that if if you don't like that in movies you won't like this
1: (laughs) yeah yeah well there were a lot of things I did appreciate about this movie. In the end, it didn't break the movie for me. I'm still positive on it overall. And, um, I think that this is a really, really great movie to watch now during quarantine. I think this is the kind of movie I can recommend to pretty much anybody, which is always a good thing. And as a result of that, I think in terms of, well, actually, before I get my grade, I have, uh, two other notes here really quick. I wanted to save for final thoughts. Um, when Dakota Johnson says to Kelvin Harrison Jr., David, you have an incredible voice. I was like, does he know? <laughs> like, really? Does he? Um, I mean, he has a really damn good he voice. He does. He does. <laughs> she's making she's making it sound like she's discovered like the next big thing in music, when in all reality, he sounds perfectly good. It's fine. Um, but Once again, I think it's a testament to Kelvin Harrison Jr.'s um, way that he plays this role that I actually did believe it. And it's like, that's something that we constantly see in the music industry, right? You don't have to be necessarily the most talented. I mean, it's so subjective anyway, but you need to have um, some sort of a it factor some sort of a factor that drives audiences to you and makes them want to uh, be around your aura. And I do think that Kelvin Harrison Jr. had that factor here. I
2: also think, like, I, too, would say that to him like that.
3: (laughs) Absolutely.
1: I laughed out loud, I I think, the hardest at uh, the comments about open-heart surgery when they're like, everything we do is meaningless. (laughs) Yes. I think that was my favorite favorite line in the whole movie.
2: (laughs) I also really think that they did the whole best friend role with Zoe Chow really well because often that character in a movie is just throwaway and useless and has no effect on anything. But I think that they really utilized it nicely. She has a little bit of impact on the plot. She kind of serves as a foil to remind us that like yeah, this this is the music industry. Like, here's this person who's working in this other field to kind of give us a little bit of perspective. And there's also some really nice little funny moments with her. So I think it's a very good example of how to do that best friend trope in a movie like this.
1: I agree. I agree. I thought it was done uh, rather well, and it served its purpose. I also really enjoyed
3: um, the <laughs> how do I how do I say this um, the the through line about uh maggie's car
2: <laughs> oh
3: <laughs> yes <laughs> how awful <it> is. <laughs> you need to ask your boss for a raise <laughs> Ooh, wait i am your boss
1: yeah. <laughs> like i said before that's like those kinds so of moments crazy. um where the back and forth between them Um, I think it really, really helps to deepen the relationship, get us to uh, care uh, so that this way, you know, by the end, we're really emotionally invested in the journeys of both characters then. And it's those it's those tiny little character moments like that that help in us getting there. Um, There's a lot of music in this movie, a lot of needle drops. My personal favorite, if you guys have a personal favorite, feel free to share. Uh, was First Cut is the Deepest.
3: Yes, I loved that version of that song. I love that they used that song. I, yeah,
1: Mm -hmm. I can't hear that song and not think about Seven Psychopaths anymore, which is kind of a shame, but at the same time, (laughs) I still really love it.
2: (laughs) I really loved the um bad girl
1: song. Oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. yes,
3: that was good. Yes,
2: fun. But I also, I do love um, the Love Myself song, which I think they're marketing as kind of the lead single for it. Yeah. And I really enjoyed that number. I think it's really lovely. And I also just am so impressed that, like, that's Tracy Ellis Ross's first single ever. And she sounds really good on it. It's a really nice song. Like, I definitely think this is a soundtrack that, particularly as we're, you know, kind of going into summer, it feels like a nice one to play, like, while you're in the car driving or something. Uh, I I can see myself listening to this album.
1: Sure, totally. Over
3: and over.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: (laughs) And before we get into uh, the film's Oscar prospects, because I'm sure we'll have thoughts on that in just a second here, um, do we have any other final thoughts that we want to uh, mention before we discuss that and our grades? Nicole?
2: Yes, one final thought. The costumes and hair and makeup in this are every single thing that Tracy Ellis Ross wears in this film is so fun. I was like, that's a look, that's a look, another look. And I even really liked Dakota Johnson's costumes in this. I think they did a really good job at making her feel fashionable, but still relatable and not, you know, she's, she's not someone fancy and rich yet. Um, My other thing is that one of my favorite things that the film does is when (laughs) uh, Tracy Ellis Ross's character has a date with Michael B. Jordan. Oh, <laughs>
0: yes. Yes. <laughs> it's yes. It's
2: incredible.
0: So funny. Like,
2: yes, ma'am. <laughs> um, but like I said, I really enjoy this. I think it's a really great film. You can recommend it to anyone. I think it's a good movie in that like adults could watch it with younger kids in the room. There's nothing in it that they couldn't like witness, um, which I know is something my parents always looked for whenever her my sister was young and I really enjoyed it. So it's not perfect, but I give it a seven out of 10.
1: All right. Nice. Very cool. Dan bear. What about you? Yeah. I'm also
2: at a seven
3: out of 10, um, with the additional thing with like, it, it is a very good time to be a fan of Dakota Johnson. Uh, (laughs) right now I'm really happy that I have loved her ever since she did, uh, the Fox TV sitcom, Ben and Kate. And, she just keeps. She's like, and in this movie particularly, it's very Anne Hathaway and the Devil Wears Prada. Like, you'd think it would be this really kind of nothing part against, you know, a really kind of fun, um, not villain exactly, but like second major character. And she makes a wholesale, real character out of Maggie and that you care for her and feel for her and want her to succeed. And she does it without seeming fake or like she's phoning it in. Like she's doing the work. And I really love that.
1: Yeah. I'm with you on that. Um I have to admit that the Fifty Shades movies clouded my perception of her in a very, very oh, major God, way early she on. She's
3: so good. Is she though in those movies?
1: Listen, she listen, really all I'm saying is the
3: only reason those movies work at
1: all. I'll give you that. I will give you that. But what I'm getting at, though, was obviously the fact that she was contractually obligated. She kept coming back and doing those movies over and over. It kept on kind of holding me back from embracing her. And lately, I will admit she's been definitely breaking out in a way that I've been more excited by the work that she's been doing lately as a result of that. Um, similar situation with like Kristen Stewart uh, with the Twilight movies, right? And I think that her choice of projects and also the relatability and the way that she carries herself in these movies, um, I'm, I, I, like I said, I'm definitely... More captivated by her now in this time than I ever have been before, and uh, as I said before, *Suspiria*, *Peanut Butter Falcon*, there are others. Uh, it's, it's a good time to be a fan of Dakota Johnson. Yeah, I'm at a, I'm at a six out of ten, strong six. I'll give it that. But still, a six out of ten. I I could not, I could not get on board with that twist at the end. It just like it, it almost uh. broke me. <laughs> I thought it was the most eye rolling, cringe worthy thing. Um, <laughs> but I will say this: for a studio film, uh, this movie, and granted, I'm not saying studio movies don't always look amazing, but this movie really, really looked great. Cinematography in this was top notch. Yeah,
3: cinematography, yeah.
1: It, I mean, like mm-hmm. there were some shots and just some uh, lighting designs and such that I was like kind of I was kind of taken back to uh, the look of a star is born a little bit at times. Yeah. It it just had this really, really nice glossy sheen to it in a way that was not overly produced, but actually had some real uh, substance behind it. And I really, really appreciated that. Mm-hmm. Now, do we think that in a year like this? where we're lacking in contenders, do we think that this movie could break into the Best Original Song category? Because I think the smart money right now is yes. Absolutely.
3: I think that's the movie's, by far the movie's best chance at any Oscar nominations. I mean, depending, like, if the movie year goes very poorly after this, I could see Tracy Ellis Ross sneaking in and, like, supporting. But other than that, maybe costumes, maybe, maybe, maybe.
1: I mean, I'll tell you this much. If the Oscars were being held tomorrow, I think those three song costumes and Tracy, I think would be in. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
2: I think it's going to really depend on what else we get this year. I think it's actually a pretty safe bet for song at this point. Um, oh, yes. I think Tracy definitely stands a chance. And I, I think, you know, as of right now, like you said, I think costumes would get in. I don't know what else we're going to get this year. That's going to potentially bump that out, um, particularly because they're not always impressed with, you know, modern costuming. Um But I think those are its real three chances.
1: Yeah. And, you know, we didn't get a really, really good chance to talk about this on the Lovebirds uh, review we did last week, because quite frankly, we haven't been doing that many new releases uh, here on the podcast. We've been going in the past, right? And with these new releases, we have to ask ourselves if, you know, a lot of, Supposed contenders keep getting pushed off and don't eventually come out, and these are the contenders that we got. Yeah, we do have to consider that they might get those Oscar nominations uh, when in a normal year, um, if we were under different circumstances, they probably would be forget- forgotten about by the time we rolled into the fall and the winter, most likely. Uh, but uh, yeah, different times, different circumstances. Here we are. Yeah. Yeah. So it's all very, very interesting. That's for sure. And
2: also... If Tracy Ellis Ross got in for this, I wouldn't be upset about it. Like I, I'm happy with that.
1: No, God, no. I don't think anybody would be upset about it. It's just you know, it's usually a very competitive category with a lot of people usually involved. Um, and like I said, an early contender being released this time of the year typically tends to get lost in the conversation by the time we reach the end of the year. But um, no, I think I think as of right now, she's looking good.
2: I also think, particularly for the song, if they play up the whole daughter of Diana Ross thing. Then Which they really would pay. have. Yeah. Exactly. And that's that's a really good kind of campaign thing to have right there on your hands.
1: I completely agree. Mm. Yeah. We'll see what happens. I think it's a really good angle for them to take for sure. All right, Nicole, where can they find you? On the internet.
2: I am pretty much everywhere on the internet at Nicole Ackman, 16.
1: Dan Bear. You can find me on
3: Twitter at dance and dan on film.
1: And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of The High Note here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, Player FM, ACAST, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of this show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon for $1 minimum a month. You will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time.